Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. If there are any Sunday school children in the auditorium, you have been dismissed to go to Sunday school. Praise God. Just want to mention something to you, just a a point of clarification. Um, I asked the men's ministry if we could have a a continental-type breakfast rather than a full-blown breakfast on the first Sunday of May, which is next, or first Saturday, which is next Saturday. So men, we're just going to have a light breakfast, and then we're going to get to work. And really what we're primarily hoping to uh, get done We're going to trim up trees and bushes and things like that, okay? So pruning is the primary thing. We'll probably clean out that area over there to the north, and we'll have a big old bonfire like Michael talked about and burn all that stuff up and make it look really nice. So if you've got trimmers or even maybe a small chainsaw, uh, that's the kind of work we're going to do. So 8 o'clock, it will be a light breakfast on Saturday, and we'll get the work done together. All right? Should be a great day. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Genesis 3 and 6. Praise God. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise... She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Jesus is a master at asking questions. He asks questions that he knows the answers to, that you will give him the proper response to, and he checks your motives at the same time with questions. Do you really think he didn't know where Adam was? Of course he knew where Adam was, but Adam didn't know where Adam was. So I got a long title for you today. Ready? Where are you? Where is God? And what happened? Where are you? Where is God and what happened? God bless you. You may be seated. You know that I'm really not very techy when it comes to even this thing I'm working on here. But I have learned a few things, and uh, one of the things I've learned is I've learned how to use a GPS. Isn't that amazing? GPS. Anybody know what that stands for? 
Global positioning system. Very good. Some of you know too. Global positioning system. Now, the first thing if you want to go somewhere is you got to know where you are. I mean, how do you get somewhere if you don't know where you're already at? Global positioning system will help you with that. It'll say you are here and this is how you get there. It's a neat thing. It's not always right. It makes mistakes, but most of the time, if you follow directions, you can get where you're going. Now, here's what happened to Adam. He got lost. He got lost because he fell into the trap of thinking that Satan was offering him something better than God had already offered. And Eve fell into the trap, and so did Adam, and they both became lost, lost because of their disobedience to God. And they knew about what time God was going to come because he always came in the cool of the day. But now after they had sinned, they saw themselves differently. You see, when you're righteous, you're clothed. And when you're not, you're shamed. That's what sin does. It never makes you better. It strips you. It embarrasses you. It separates you from God. So when Adam and Eve partook of that fruit, they saw themselves differently. They saw themselves as naked, and they were ashamed. It didn't make them wiser. It wasn't any greater than the other fruit that was in the garden. All the promises that Satan had given never came to fruition. That's a play on words. Never came to fruition because he's a liar. He's a liar. So we first have to find out where we are. Where are you, Adam? I'm in sin. Where was God? Right where he always was. Back in the garden, waiting to talk with Adam and with Eve. And what had happened? They had sinned. And what happened next? They began to blame others. Oh, the woman that you gave me. The serpent. Blaming others. You know, not, not much changes from the book of Genesis to today. People don't accept responsibility for their actions like they should. We're always blaming somebody else. We're, we're buying the lies of Satan and we get separated from God. And we don't walk with him anymore. You know what God was looking for? God was looking for repentance. He was looking for Adam to say, I, I messed up. I disobeyed you. I'm not blaming anybody but myself. But he couldn't find any repentance. That's what I think disappointed him the most. And so he had to kick him out of the garden. Let's take a look at another man. How about Elijah? Elijah, what a great man of God. Who could ever forget the time that 400 prophets of Baal stood up to one prophet of God and the prophet of God called down fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice? Who could ever forget 
that the prophet of God not only could call down fire from heaven, but he could call rain to the earth when it hadn't rained for over three years. What power this man had. Who would ever forget that 400 prophets of Baal were killed in one day because of the great power of God and a man of God that could offer a prayer of faith. Such was Elijah. But notice here in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse one, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I take not thy life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he left his servant there. And see, there's, there's mistakes being made here by Elijah. Number one, don't run, just call on God. If it had been me, now it's real easy for us to sit back in our position of safety and logically say, well, listen, hold it, hold it. If one woman makes a threat against you and you've just called down fire from heaven, just change the location of the fire. (laughs) Hey, God, Jezebel's house. Now, that's it. Problem solved. That's what we would think. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe that's not what you'd think, but that's what I thought of. Send the fire to Jezebel's house. The second mistake he makes is he leaves his servant. Did you notice that? He's on the run, and what does he do? He left his servant there at the end of verse three. But he himself, when a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, requested for himself that he might die, and said, it's enough now, Lord. Take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. He was afraid. It's hard for us to understand that one man would be afraid of one woman after he just had 400 slain. But he was afraid of her, and I don't know why. I'm just being totally honest with you. I don't know why he's afraid of one woman, but he is. And what he does is he runs from her, he leaves his servant, and he heads for a cave. Because when fear grips a person, they either flee or they fight. Those are your two options, flee or fight. Fear is torment. Fear will keep you up at night. Fear will steal from you. Fear can paralyze you. Let me give you an example. A cobra, when it's hunting, stays low. It slithers around in the jungle or in the grass, or it keeps itself low until it sees its prey. And when it sees its prey and believes that it can make eye contact from relatively close range, it rises up and cocks its head and spreads itself out to make itself look big and terrible and fearful. 
Now, if the bird, when he initially sees the cobra in this position, would merely fly away, nothing would happen. But when eye contact is made with that cobra and it realizes that if the cobra would strike, it could die, it becomes so afraid that it doesn't move. And the cobra holds this position and moves only the lower part of its body closer and closer and becomes bigger and bigger as it approaches its prey and then when it's within striking distance, it strikes. All beginning with fear. Fear is what brings the prey into the cobra. Satan's always been a snake. We're supposed to walk on snakes. We're supposed to shoot snakes. We're not supposed to fear snakes. We don't play with snakes. Can I get an amen? Amen. We are not snake handlers. We're not tempting the Lord our God. But we have dominion over all the power of the enemy. And he's using fear, and we need to use faith. We need to use faith. I remember when I was, I'm gonna give an example of myself that we either flee or we fight. When I became a 13-year-old boy, I remember this, 13 years old, that teenage, that first year of being a teenager and you start liking girls, you know, and you decide you're gonna make yourself look presentable and you wanna look nice when you go to school. And I remember we used to, I know you're gonna laugh at this, but we used Vaseline petroleum jelly. Now you say that's so sticky and thick, not if it's warm. Not if it's warm. And so we would, what you would do is you would take this stuff and you'd rub it in your hands and you'd put it in your hair and you could comb your hair and not a hair would move. Not even on a windy day. Your hair would even shine like it was angelic. Every hair was perfectly in place. I wore the best clothes that I had and I got on the bus. Unfortunately for me, we were on the end of the bus route. We were the last kids to get picked up before the bus was full and they took us to school. And sometimes the bus was so packed, there was hardly room for even one or two extra kids. And the bullies always sat in the back of the bus. And at least one of them was a lookout keeping an eye on the bus driver while they did their shenanigans in the back while they, while they bullied other people. And I remember I'd have to get on the bus, one of the last kids every day, and the only seat opened would be right in front of the bully. He didn't appreciate the time I had put in to preparing my hair. And so he wanted to make fun of me. And it was the only seat available, so I went and sat back there, and he took his hands and messed all my hair up. He knew that that would aggravate me. And he did it every day. 
And people would wait, you know, and I'd, I'd cut, get on the bus and I'd say, oh man, I don't like getting on the bus. I'd, I, I realize there's already three of you in this seat, but could you please move over and let me sit here today? No, we ain't got no room for you. Go to the back of the bus. There's room back there. I'd go to the back of the bus and every day the kid did the same thing, picked on me, messed up my hair, slapped, then he started slapping me in the back of the head, you know, and, and, and pretty soon there were tears in my eyes and I was trying not to look like I was crying, but I was being bullied. And I didn't know what to do about it. And I just figured, well, you know, you just gotta do the best you can with it. But finally I had a talk with my dad. I said, dad, I don't want you to call the principal or, or talk to the bus driver. It'll only make things worse, but I don't know what to do. And he said, well, he said, uh, you might need to get some boxing lessons. He said, I got this friend, Gus Magestro. He said, I'm not gonna teach him. My dad was a, was a boxer in the army, but he didn't wanna teach his son how to box. And so he said, Gus will teach you. I thought about it, but I didn't want to put in the time. I was like Brother Flick. I liked playing ball. I didn't want to take on boxing. I wanted to play ball all the time. So I didn't want to do that. And so I thought, what am I going to do? This, this is going on indefinitely. Now, finally, you can only flee for so long. And one day, I said, what's the worst that could happen? I get my hair messed up every day. I'm getting slapped around on the bus every day. What's the worst that could happen if I would just turn around and go at it with this guy? I'm already getting beat up. I'm already a mess when I get to school. I'm already embarrassed. So I made up my mind that the next day, the first time that guy touched me, I was gonna spin around and jump on him and just give him everything I had. At least get in a few licks. And he did it. His name was Mark. Mark did it. He messed with my hair. I spun around, grabbed him, and threw him on the floor and just started wailing on him. And I wasn't letting up either. The bus driver said, Stop, stop, stop. I said, I ain't stopping. I'm going to stay on this guy till you come and referee this fight because I don't want him getting up and beating me up. I had him in a position. It was great. I enjoyed it. I had a reputation then. People left me alone. Thought, oh, he's a good fighter. No, I just caught the guy off guard. He never thought I'd do it. But there's a time to flee, and there's a time to fight. And you got to know which time it is. Because you can be intimidated by your enemy to the point that your life is filled with fear. And such was the case with Elijah. He was afraid. Look here, verse, uh, 1 Kings 19 and 9. He came thither unto a cave. He lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, here it is again. Here it is again. Where are you? Elijah says, well, I'm in a cave. And the Lord says, what are you doing here? 
Why are you in this cave? Why are you so afraid? After all I've done through your life, what are you doing in a cave? And where's your servant? Even Jesus sent out the disciples in twos. Why? Because we need encouragement from one another. We need agreement from one another. Getting alone and going a day's journey, it said, away from all of mankind and getting in a cave is not gonna make it better. It's gonna make it worse. What are you doing in a cave? A place of darkness and insects and snakes and things like that. What are you doing in a cave? But that's what we have a tendency to do when we're afraid or when we're hurt. I don't expect you to say amen, but you know it's true. I, don't, I just don't want to talk to anybody. I, I, just, I just need to be alone. No, you need to be with people. I'm not saying you have to talk about it all the time, but don't pull yourself away from the strength of other people. Find an encourager. And so the Lord asks this question again, what are you doing in this cave? Here's his answer, verse 10. Well, Lord, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it. I'm the only one living for God. All all the rest of your people are not. They're killing the prophets. They're worshiping idols. They seek to take my life. I'm the only one left, God. So I have to hide in a cave. Well, what good are you doing in a cave? If you're a prophet, you're supposed to prophesy. Who are you prophesying to in a cave? But you're afraid, and you're wrong. If you read the rest of this story, the Lord will come right out to him and say, hey, you're wrong, Elijah. I've got 7,000 prophets who have never bowed a knee to Baal. You're wrong. Your numbers are wrong. Well, that's what they were saying. Well, who is they? And who is God? And what can God do? Don't hide in this cave. Jezebel couldn't keep her promise. She never killed him. The thing that he feared most had come upon him, but it was fear himself. President Roosevelt said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. That's the thing that paralyzes people. I gotta tell you a story just to lighten things up a little bit. I remember one time, this is many, many years ago, and uh, Brother Cordell brought up the building fund. And uh, we had a Wednesday night service before we had to make the mortgage payment, and we were hurting. And so I told the man that was gonna speak that night, I said, sir, now please, don't forget to take the offering tonight. Well, he was excited and anxious to preach his message, and I understand that, and 
he got up to preach his message and he forgot to take the offering. And I went home that night. I wasn't very happy. And uh, I was going up the stairs. I remember it like yesterday. And the Lord stopped me. And he said, when you worry, this is what I want you to remember. When you worry, you are not trusting. You can't do both at the same time. So if you're worrying, you're not trusting. Now I'm gonna give this filler because this is what the Lord laid on my heart and I didn't see how it fit this message. But God wants two things from us. Trust and thankfulness. Trust God in spite of what you see or what you don't feel or what you haven't heard, trust and be thankful for everything that God has given you. Trust. So I said, so I felt rebuked. When you worry, you're not trusting. Okay, God. I get up the next morning, I come in, there's the secretary. You know, Pastor, we forgot to take the offering last night. Yes, I know that. She said, but what you don't know is that somebody gave me an envelope with $5,000 in it for the building fund. Amen, that's an amen. $5,000. And the Lord spoke to me again right there in the office and said, see, I don't even need to use your methods. And I normally never do this, and, and everybody in this congregation will probably be able to say amen to this. I don't talk to people about what they give. I don't go to them and say, hey, I noticed last month you didn't give your tithes. Or, I don't do that. But I made an exception this time. I was so thankful for what that person did that I went to them and I said, you know, you will never know. And it wasn't a wealthy person either. You will never know what that offering meant and that amount. And I got rebuked again. Because the woman said to me, oh yes, I have to tell you, you're wrong. I know exactly what it meant because God told me exactly what to give. I don't mind getting rebuked if God blesses. <laughs> and we learn something from it. We learn something from it. Where was I in unbelief? Where was God in faith? What happened? God met the need. That's the way it works, folks. That's the way it works. So he said, I'm the only one that's living for God. But look what the Lord says in 1 Kings 19 and 11. Go forth, leave this cave, and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And the Lord passed by and a great strong wind rent the mountains, breaking pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. We need to stand on a mountain until we hear from God. 
That's what needs to happen. Hiding places will not get the job done. God knows where you are all the time. If man can come up with GPS, what does God have? At all times. There's no hiding place, folks. Let me read it to you. I owe you. Psalm 139.7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. There is no hiding place from God. No hiding place. But there is a hiding place in God. Psalm 61, verse one. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast but a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Psalm 62 and two. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I will not be greatly moved. Verse six. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. He's the rock of my strength. He's my refuge. It's in my God. Trust. There it is. Trust in him. Do you ever feel like you couldn't trust anybody? Like people have failed you and disappointed you and haven't kept their word or their promises to you? And so you're not gonna serve God because of what people do? Trust in him. At all times. Yea, people, pour out your heart before him because God is a refuge for us. It's our refuge. Where am I? I'm afraid. Where is God? He's my rock. What will he do? He'll call me out and cause me to stand upon a rock. One more example. John the Baptist. Hard. Bold. Strong. Never, never afraid. Calls the Pharisees vipers. The religious leaders, look, look at the way he talks to them. Harsh. Never seems to be afraid. One day, when he stood before Herod, he embarrassed him in front of his friends. He said, Herod, the woman you're with is your brother's wife and it's sin, right in front of everybody. Now what's Herod gonna do? He loves John, he likes an aggressive personality, somebody that rules with authority, but now you've embarrassed me in front of my friends. Take him away and put him in prison, I'll figure out what to do with him later. 
So what does the woman do when her daughter dances before Herod and is granted up to half the kingdom? She asks for the head of John the Baptist. He's on death row. His ministry has lasted six months. 30 years he waited and he ministered for six months and now he's in prison on death row and he has second thoughts. Where are you, John? I'm in prison. It's a lonely place. There's nobody to talk to down here. There's rats, filth, darkness, bad food, no cable TV. It's a little different now, isn't it, John? So his mind begins to play tricks with him. Look at this in Matthew 11 and two. When John heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Are thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Wait, wait, John. When you first met Jesus, without any introduction, you saw him coming toward you. You stuck your finger at him, and you announced to everybody, Behold, I see the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. No introduction. You knew it. When, when you baptized him, John, the Spirit of God came as a dove over him, and you heard the voice. Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You heard that. You saw it. You knew. But now you're in prison. Now it's different, isn't it? Now you're in a cave. Now you're all alone. Now you're facing death. That's where you are. But where's God in all of this, John? I'm sure John was wondering, second-guessing himself. So Jesus said, take this message back to him. You go and show John again. Aren't you glad that we can preach the same message more than once? Well, you know, you preached that Acts 2.38 message last month. Now just don't bring that up anymore. I'm going to keep bringing it up. There are some things that need to be preached consistently. And just because you've heard it before doesn't mean you don't need to hear it again. So you go tell John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached unto them, and he warns him, blessed is he who is not offended in me. See, when the times really get tough on your life, when the cobra finally rises up, when the only seat open on the bus is backed by the bully, that's when you find out how much of God you've got and how much of it is just you. That's what John needed to hear. He was glad when he heard this message. He didn't whine and complain when they took him to the chopping block and beheaded him. Because he knew he'd done the right thing. 
he had been the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Do you know what? You and I are the forerunners now. Now it's our turn to be the forerunners. Jesus is coming, folks. We are in the last days. The kingdom of God is at hand. There need to be more John the Baptists. There's only one Savior, but there can be a lot of John the Baptists. So where am I today? Where is God? And what's about to happen? Let me tell you one more thing about a prison. Unforgiveness is a prison. But forgiveness is the key. Unforgiveness is a prison, but forgiveness is the key. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear. Ever see any shirts that say no fear? Here's where it came from. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear has torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. When love is cast aside, fear moves in. But perfect love keeps fear out. I love you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. You're my rock, you're my defense. You're my strong tower. You're my shelter. I trust you. And I'm thankful that you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That you are an ever-present help in a time of need. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that. against that day. What day? The day when fear rears its ugly head. You know, when I'm hunting, I'm afraid of nothing. You know why? Because I got a gun. (laughs) And the prey doesn't. I remember one of the First uh, times my wife and I were in the woods together, I wanted to impress her with my hunting skills. We actually hunted squirrels together. She shot a big old shotgun. Can you picture my wife shooting a shotgun? We used to do it together. And I remember one of the first times we went out toward uh, Boscobel and Steuben area and they were known for having rattlesnakes out there. My wife said, I don't wanna go out there. Snakes and stuff. I said, you don't need to worry about that, honey. You're with me. Long as you stay close to me. I'm taking advantage of this. You just stay real close to me. You'll be okay. Because I got this big old gun. And I ain't afraid to use it. And this little old garter snake came crawling across the trail and she saw it. A snake, boom, and he was no more. 
couldn't even find him. He was so blown to bits. Hey, here's my message for you. Jesus is saying, you just stay close to me. It'll be okay. This is the way I deal with snakes. Boom. Let's stand together. Here's why I'm quitting right here. Because there are people today that are in fear. And they're wondering where God is. And God wants to do some miraculous things this morning. I'm not just gonna say, let's come to the altar and pray today. I'm gonna say, hey, if you're afraid, if you need a prayer of faith, we can offer it up for the sick or for the fearful today. We can kill some snakes. I know a little baby that has type one diabetes needs prayer. I know others without calling you out by name that you have every reason to have fear come over you, but you're in a place of faith today. If two or more would agree, see, don't go, don't go it alone. Don't leave your servant, your family, your church friends away. Keep them close. Don't go to a cave, go to a sanctuary and find help in a time of need. I wanna offer a prayer of faith for people today and I wonder if there's anybody in the house that would agree with me today. That that's what we need to do with the fear that the enemy is bringing upon even God's people. Perfect love. And you know what, when you come today, you don't offer a prayer. You just stand there and love the Lord. Perfect love casts out fear. That's your part. And we're gonna offer a prayer of faith today for those that are struggling with fear. I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about my marriage. When you worry, you're not trusting. Jesus, I pray today by your spirit, that you would draw people from where they are right now to this altar, to be delivered of their fear, to be healed of their diseases, to be set free from the bondage that Satan brings against their lives. I pray that also people... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.